This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. And just like that, it's December. This feels like both the longest and the shortest year ever. Like, I've been really busy all year. It was a very full year, but then also, how are we already at the end of the year? So weird to me. Anyway, this week I'll share my thoughts on Maureen Kilmer's Suburban Hell, Abigail Johnson's Every Time You Go Away, Alex Michalides, The Silent Patient, and Brian Washington's Family Meal. But first, let's look at some of this week's new releases. First on my list is The Curse of Penrith Hall by Jess Armstrong. This is a gothic murder mystery, and I reviewed it on episode 35 if you want to go back and check that out. We also have Every Time You Go Away by Abigail Johnson. I will have a full review of this one later in the episode, and we'll give a synopsis of the book then. Next is The Wildest Son by Asha Lemmy. This follows a young woman escaping her past in post-war Paris as she searches for the larger-than-life man she believes to be her father. Next is The Engagement Party by Darby Kane. And Then There Were None meets I Know What You Did Last Summer. This is a gripping and twisty thriller set on a private island in Maine where secrets piled upon secrets and lies upon lies are all revealed in one fateful weekend. Probably gonna have to check that one out. Then we have Make Me a Liar by Melissa Landers. Veronica Mars gets a fantastical twist in this novel about a girl with a transferable consciousness who uses her power for good only to have it turned on her when someone uses her body to commit murder. Now she must solve the crime before the killer comes after her. That sounds kind of fun. Next is The Gentleman's Gambit by Evie Dunmore. Bookish suffragist Catriona Campbell is busy. An ailing estate, academic writer's block, a tense time for England's women's rights campaign. The last thing she needs is to be stuck playing host to her father's distractingly attractive young colleague. Then we have The Other Mothers by Catherine Faulkner. Described as a fresh and deftly paced thriller about murder, class, and motherhood in an exclusive London community. And then we have Yours for the Taking by Gabrielle Korn. This is a dystopian novel set in 2050 and is described as a mesmerizing story of queer love, betrayal, and chosen family and an unflinching indictment of cis corporate feminism. Next is The Frozen River by Ariel Lawhon, L A W H O N. A gripping historical mystery inspired by the life and diary of Martha Ballard, a renowned 18th century midwife who investigates a shocking murder that unhinges her small community. Next is Win, Lose, Kill, Die by Cynthia Murphy. The students at Morton Academy are high achievers, selected based on academic excellence. So when a series of murders target the school's best and brightest, the pressure is on. 
Next is Where the Dead Wait by Allie Wilkes. An eerie atmospheric polar gothic following a Victorian explorer in search of his lost shipmate and his own redemption. And then last on my list is This Spells Love by Kate Robb. A spell for you to forget your ex, but what else might you lose? That one sounds fun. I got it in my book of the month box actually in November, so hoping to get to that one soon. Uh, That's all I have on my list this week. I didn't add any new books, so let's jump into the reviews. And we'll kick things off with Maureen Kilmer's Suburban Hell. This book was first published in the U.S. on August 30th, 2022 by G.P. Putnam Sons. The synopsis reads, Amy Foster considers herself lucky. After she left the city and moved to the suburb, she found her place quickly with neighbors Liz, Jess, and Melissa, snarking together from the outskirts of the PTA crowd. One night during their monthly wine get-together, the crew concoct a plan for a clubhouse she-shed in Liz's backyard, a space for just them, no spouses or kids allowed. But the night after they christen this she-shed, things start to feel off. They didn't expect Liz's little home improvement project to release a demonic force that turns their quiet enclave into something out of a nightmare, and that's before the Homeowners Association gets wind of it. Even the calmest moms can't justify the strange burn marks, self-moving dolls, and horrible smells surrounding their possessed friend Liz. Together, Amy, Jess, and Melissa must fight the evil spirit to save Liz and the neighborhood before the suburbs go completely to hell. This was my first book by this author, and I gotta say, it was a lot of fun. I watched an Instagram live chat that Scott of Fashionably Late Books did where he chatted with the author about this book as well as her newest book, Hex Education. I bought both of them immediately afterward. In this book, Kilmer delivers a story that is both entertaining and a little unhinged, but in a good way. The book follows the lives of Amy, Liz, Jess, and Melissa, four suburban housewives, friends, and neighbors who have bonded over the years. They're witty, sarcastic, and unapologetically themselves, and it is this camaraderie that draws you into their world. Their bonds are tested when Liz decides to build a clubhouse, dubbed the She Shed, in her backyard where the four women can get together for their wine and movie nights. What starts off as a harmless project quickly spirals into a nightmarish ordeal when a demonic force is unleashed upon the neighborhood when the ground is broken for the shed. Suddenly, the once peaceful suburb is filled with an inexplicable stench that lingers in the air, and Liz is acting out of sorts. Amy is the first to notice, and the more she digs, the more she's convinced that Liz might be possessed. With the help of Jess and Melissa, the three work to save their friend and their community from the grips of this evil spirit. One of the things I love most about the book were the characters. They're all fun and relatable. The banter between them is sharp and witty, providing a refreshing and hilarious element to the creepy plot. Furthermore, Kilmer's portrayal of suburban life is spot on. She perfectly captures the struggles and mundanity that come from living in the suburbs while also exaggerating certain aspects for comedic effect. The HOA, the PTA moms, and the busybody neighbors are all here and in full effect. It's obvious that the author is a Real Housewives fan, as am I, and I couldn't help but imagine some of the Real Housewives playing these characters as I read the book. I mean, who wouldn't want to see Heather Gay from Real Housewives of Salt Lake City play Amy and try to figure out what's happening in her neighborhood? Kyle Richards from Beverly Hills could play Melissa, the workaholic. Melissa Gorga from New Jersey could play Jess to round out the crew, and I'd love to see Sutton, also from Beverly Hills, play the possessed Liz. And yes, I realize these women are all older than the characters in the book, but it would still be fun. 
Kilmer's skillful storytelling and well-developed characters make for a truly unforgettable experience. The pacing of the novel is perfect, with the author constantly keeping the reader engaged with a series of mishaps as the women try to figure out what's going on with their friend and how they can save her. While the outcome was expected, and there were no real surprises along the way, the ride was still a lot of fun. It's not especially scary or creepy, I would consider this more along the lines of a light horror with a lot of comedy. It reminded me a bit of the show Santa Clarita Diet with Drew Barrymore. If you're a fan of light horror with a twist of comedy, or if you want to dip your toe into horror without a lot of scares and gore, then I highly recommend picking up a copy of Suburban Hell. It's a fun one. I gave it three and a half stars. Now we'll take a look at Every Time You Go Away by Abigail Johnson. This book was first published in the U.S. by Ink Yard Press on December 5th, 2023. I received an advanced copy of this book courtesy of the publisher through NetGalley in exchange for an honest review. The synopsis reads, Eight years ago, Ethan and Rebecca met, two troublemaking kids sharing secrets and first kisses in a treehouse, until Ethan's mom returned to take him away. Each and every visit, his only goodbye was a flower on Rebecca's windowsill. Three years ago, Ethan left for the last time to take care of his mother, who struggled with addiction his whole life. Two years ago, Rebecca was in a car accident that killed her father. She's been learning to navigate life as a wheelchair user ever since. Now they discover if their hardships have torn them apart, or will they bring them closer than ever. So first of all, it's not lost on me that I, as a gay, white, middle-aged man, a middle-aged piece is really hard to admit, but I am not the intended audience for this book. That said, I still really enjoyed it. When I was a teen, I would often dip my toe into Sweet Dreams romance books, so now and then I like to pick up a YA romance and settle back into my 16-year-old self. I gotta say, young adult romances are much less cheesy than they were in the 80s and 90s. What I loved most about this book was how heartwarming and inclusive it is. I also loved how it explored themes of loss, addiction, and the power of friendship, and I'm happy to say I really enjoyed the story of Ethan and Rebecca. It's an emotional journey filled with ups and downs. Ethan and Rebecca's friendship begins in childhood when his addict mother leaves him with his grandparents, who live next door to Rebecca and her parents. The two become fast friends, but their friendship is abruptly cut short when Ethan's mom takes him away again. A few years later, Ethan returns, but is once again ripped away, leaving nothing but a flower on Rebecca's windowsill. Several years later, Ethan's mother is once again in rehab, and he's back living with his grandparents. A lot has changed, though. Ethan is no longer the scared little boy, having had to take care of his mother for years as she battled her addictions. Rebecca has also changed following a tragic car accident that took her father's life and left her in a wheelchair. When Ethan and Rebecca are reunited, their connection is put to the test. Will their hardships bring them closer together, or have they grown too far apart? One of the standout aspects of this book was its inclusivity. It was nice to see a wheelchair user as a main character rather than just a side character. The author has done a phenomenal job of portraying Rebecca's experience as a wheelchair user with authenticity and sensitivity, which makes sense since the author herself is a wheelchair user. The author's handling of loss and addiction in this book is also incredibly well done. Ethan and Rebecca both carry the weight of their past, and it's through their shared experiences that they find solace and healing. I appreciated how the author portrayed their struggles with honesty and care, shedding light on the emotional turmoil that comes with loss and addiction. It was a reminder that our past does not define us. 
It's our choices and actions in the present that shape our future. The book is told through alternating viewpoints of Ethan and Rebecca, occasionally flashing back to before Rebecca's accident in the present moment. Despite jumping around in time, I never felt lost. The characters are all well-rounded and relatable. The relationship between Rebecca and Ethan is solid, but I also liked watching the relationship that Ethan had with his grandparents as it evolved. I was especially touched by the relationship that Rebecca has with her mother and how it evolved as well. Another thing this book does well is that it reminds us of the importance of cherishing the present moment and the people in our lives. It's all too easy to get caught up in our own struggles and forget about the impact we have on others. This book serves as a poignant reminder to appreciate the relationships we have as they can provide us with the strength and support we need to face life's challenges. In the end, I thought this was a beautifully written novel perfect for teens and adults alike. It offers a heartwarming and empowering story that will resonate with readers of all ages. I highly recommend this book to anyone looking for a touching and uplifting read. I gave it four stars. Now I'll share my thoughts on The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides. This is the book everyone besides me had read until now, or at least it seemed that way. This book was first published in the United States by Celadon Books on February 5th, 2019. This book was the winner of the Goodreads Choice Award for Best Mystery and Thriller that same year. The synopsis reads, Alicia Berenson's life is seemingly perfect. A famous painter married to an in-demand fashion photographer, she lives in a grand house with big windows overlooking a park in one of London's most desirable areas. One evening, her husband Gabriel returns home late from a fashion shoot, and Alicia shoots him five times in the face, and then never speaks another word. Alicia's refusal to talk or give any kind of explanation turns a domestic tragedy into something far grander a mystery that captures the public imagination and casts Alicia into notoriety. The price of her art skyrockets, and she, the silent patient, is hidden away from the tabloids and spotlight at The Grove, a secure forensic unit in North London. Theo Faber is a criminal psychotherapist who has waited a long time for the opportunity to work with Alicia. His determination to get her to talk and unravel the mystery of why she shot her husband takes him down a twisting path into his own motivations, a search for the truth that threatens to consume him. The Silent Patient is a shocking psychological thriller of a woman's act of violence against her husband, and of the therapist obsessed with uncovering her motive. Though I am super late to the party on this one. So much so that I was afraid to read it because with all of the buzz, I was worried I would be disappointed. I'd also heard that there was a mind-blowing twist that no one saw coming, so of course I had to see if I could figure it out. I had my suspicions early on, and these suspicions panned out, but it didn't take away from my enjoyment of the novel at all. In the event you've not read this one, the story revolves around Alicia Berenson, a renowned painter who, for unexplained reasons, shot her husband in the face five times, and now she refuses to speak. Alicia has been in a psychiatric facility for several years, and Theo Faber, a criminal psychotherapist, has been obsessed with her case for a very long time. So much so that he has managed to get himself hired at the hospital where Alicia stays. And it's not long before the head of staff allows Theo to work with Alicia in an attempt to get her to speak and reveal her truth once and for all. That's all I'm going to say about the overall plot, because to reveal much more than that will take away from the fun of reading this one. The story is told primarily from the point of view of Theo, with journal entries from Alicia peppered amongst the book. 
This dual perspective adds depth and complexity to the story. It allows readers to witness the psychological battle between Alicia's trauma and Theo's relentless pursuit of the truth. The character development in the novel is top-notch. Though she says very little, Alicia is a complex and enigmatic character, and honestly, her silence becomes a character in its own right. Her inability, or is it unwillingness, to speak forces readers to delve deeper into her psyche, questioning her motivations and forming their own theories about the truth. Theo, on the other hand, is a flawed and tenacious psychotherapist whose unwavering determination to unravel Alicia's mystery keeps us glued to the pages. And what I loved about Theo is that he struggles with some crippling mental health issues of his own, and there were times when I wondered if his commitment to Alicia and her case was healthy for him. I mean, there are times when it feels like he's teetering on the edge of completely losing his shit. In addition to the captivating characters, Michaelides expertly incorporates the exploration of mental health and trauma into the narrative. He handles these sensitive topics with compassion and nuance, highlighting the complexities of the human mind. In a way, the mental health struggles of the characters almost take on a life of their own. And this one is a page-turner, the kind of book that keeps you up late into the night, unable to put it down. Michaelides' skill at building suspense and crafting unexpected plot twists is admirable, and I never felt the pace faltered. Every sentence had a purpose, and I was never bored. This is definitely a must-read if you're a fan of the psychological thriller genre. With its creative storytelling, compelling characters, and addictive storyline, I can see why it was praised as one of the year's most remarkable debuts when it was released. I'll definitely be checking out this author's other works. I gave this one a solid four stars. We'll close out with my thoughts on Family Meal by Brian Washington. This book was first published in the U.S. on October 1st, 2023 by Riverhead Books. The synopsis reads, Cam is living in Los Angeles and falling apart after the love of his life has died. Kai's ghost won't leave Cam alone. His spectral visits wild, tender, and unexpected. When Cam returns to his hometown of Houston, he crashes back into the orbit of his former best friend TJ and TJ's family bakery. TJ's not sure how to navigate this changed Cam, impenetrably cool and self-destructing, or their charged estrangement. Can they find a way past all that has been said and left unsaid to save each other? Could they find a way back to being okay again, or maybe for the first time? When secrets and wounds become so insurmountable that they devour us from within, hope and sustenance and friendship can come from the most unlikely source. Spanning Los Angeles, Houston, and Osako, Family Meal is a story about how the people who know us the longest can hurt us the most, but how they also set the standard for love. With his signature generosity and eye for food, sex, love, and the moments that make us the most human, Brian Washington returns with a brilliant new novel. This was one of those novels that I knew nothing about going into it, and it ended up really touching me. I read the synopsis, bought it on a whim, and I am so happy I did. It's a captivating novel that delves into the complexities of grief, friendship, family, and love. With a touching storyline and relatable characters, Washington paints a poignant picture of friends and family navigating their way through life's challenges. The story follows Cam, a young man from Houston who spent several years living in Los Angeles but is now grappling with the loss of Kai, the love of his life. After Kai's death, Cam spirals and ends up moving back to Houston. He works at a bar and lives with friends of Kai's, passing his time swiping through and hooking up with guys on Grindr. 
What Cam hasn't told anyone is that he's often visited by the ghost of Kai. He's afraid people will think he's crazy or that if he mentions it to anyone, Kai will stop coming, so he locks it all away with the rest of his grief. Eventually, Cam finds himself thrown back into the orbit of his former best friend, TJ. After Cam's parents were killed when he was a kid, TJ's family took him in, where he lived and worked at their family bakery. Cam and TJ were pretty much inseparable growing up, but the dynamics between them have changed and their estrangement is palpable. Over the course of the book, we witness the two trying to repair their friendship as Cam integrates back into TJ and his family's lives. The life force of the book is Washington's well-developed and relatable characters. The book is told through both Cam and TJ's points of view, giving us a deeper look at both of the characters. This keeps us grounded and gives us a true picture of what happened between them when they were younger and where they truly stand with each other now, even though they don't always know how to express that to each other. Cam is a particularly compelling protagonist, as his impenetrably cool facade masks his internal struggle with self-destruction. Through his interactions with TJ and other characters, Cam's vulnerabilities and flaws are gradually unveiled, making him a deeply human and empathetic character. His story really is heartbreaking. TJ, on the other hand, is unsure how to navigate the changed Cam. As the story unfolds, readers are privy to TJ's perspective, and Washington masterfully portrays his confusion and desire to salvage their friendship. TJ seems rock solid on the surface, but he has his own struggles that he's grappling with, things that have held him back in life, and at times, Cam's presence in his life has only amplified those struggles. The dynamics between the two are captivating, oscillating between tension and longing as they attempt to find their way back to each other. Kai's ghost is also an important character in the book, and while we don't hear directly from Kai, his presence and his eventual death are at the center of Cam's story. He may be the most important character in the book. Family Meal also explores how the people who know us the longest can hurt us the most, but ultimately play a role in setting the standard for how and even who we love. Washington expertly delves into the complexities of familial relationships, highlighting how deeply rooted connections can both heal and harm. The themes of forgiveness, redemption, and the power of acceptance are woven seamlessly into the narrative, leaving readers with a profound sense of hope and catharsis. The novel's setting plays a significant role in the narrative, and it was especially enjoyable for me because I lived in the Houston area for almost 18 years, so I knew a lot of the neighborhoods and streets that Washington references. I felt like I was right there with the characters. In the end, I thought this was a beautifully written novel that examines the depths of grief, friendship, and love. I would definitely recommend this one to anyone who is looking for an emotional but hopeful read. I gave it a solid four and a half stars. All right, that's all I have this week. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram for all things bookish. The handle there is at justreaditalreadypod. You can also find links to all of the books that I talked about today on the website at justreaditalready.com. Join me next week when I take a look at Maybe Next Time by Seska Major, When I'm Dead by Hannah Morrissey, The Christmas Orphans Club by Becca Freeman, and Love Light Farms by B.K. Borison. Have a good week.